Welcome to Inside Ulster, the rugby podcast from the Bell Tell, with me, Neve Campbell, me, Jonathan Bradley, and me, Adam McKendrick. With expert analysis and special guests, let's kick off. Another week, another win, another podcast. Welcome back to Inside Ulster, the Bell Tell's Ulster Rugby podcast, with myself, Adam McKendrick. Jonathan Bradley is opposite me. How are you, Jonathan? I'm good, I'm good. You sounded very Groundhog Day there, which is uh, seasonal. Just like another day, another win. <laughs> well, yeah, I sound a very matter of fact there whenever actually it's a bit more of a a surprise that it's a <laughs> win for Ulster these days. But I think we all expected them to beat the Stormers and it, it ended up being the way it was. Um, of course, we will have that to look back on. We will have the Six Nations to preview. Plenty to come up on the podcast this week. Uh, so I suppose no better place to start than Ravenhill. And what in the end was, uh, I think it's fair to say, a very comprehensive win for Ulster. We did talk about this last week, Jonathan, where we kind of expected Ulster to be that, maybe maybe not that dominant, but we expected them to win. How, how did you sort of see the game going? Yeah, I think we flagged this pretty far in advance whenever we saw the teams that were starting to come to Europe from South Africa for these league games. It was apparent pretty early on that we weren't going to get the first choice Stormers team whenever you looked at their fixture list. And I think it probably shows that while we know the Stormers are the league champions, we know how good a side they are they probably don't have the depth of maybe even the Bulls, but especially the top-tier teams from other parts of the world that are in this competition, the likes of Leinster, obviously. Um, And even, you know, we saw some good games this weekend between teams missing their international stars. This wasn't one of them. Mm. Uh, This became a very one-sided game. And to be fair to the Stormers, you're only coming here with 27, 28 players and you lose two of them on the day, mm. you end up with two hookers on the bench, you end up with a fullback playing fly half after 20 minutes, you lose the one, well, I suppose two of your frontliners in Kotze and Roos. Roos might be your best player. You lose him after 20 minutes for what John Dobson has said could be the season. Um, that was one of those days where I think anything that could go wrong for the Stormers did and it obviously showed that's not to take away from Ulster because there were positive aspects of Ulster's performance that were independent of the Stormers, and I think we'll probably get to them later. But um, yeah, it had a very early season feel. Um, I would file the Stormers' performance in there with Connacht and the Ospreys in terms of what was uh, what was offered. It was um, as one-sided a game as we've had since the very early weeks of the season. I mean, it, it honestly felt like a zebra game where... You just knew Ulster were going to win. And once they sort of went out those couple of tries up and then Ben Moxon makes that tackle on, uh, was it Suleiman uh, Hartsman or uh, whatever his name is? Uh, I think that was kind of the moment that you just knew that that was how the game was going to go. And I think the, the only real disappointment from an Ulster perspective is they weren't able to nil the Stormers. Like That's probably the only thing they're coming away from it going, it's a bit of a shame we didn't do that. But... From an Ulster perspective, you get the win. 
you move on, you know, you, you get the five points, you continue this upward trajectory. I think in the, in the bigger picture, which I think is probably the thing that stood out to me more, is it is just a really bad look for the league whenever the team's first, uh, uh, sorry, second and fourth are going head-to-head and it's a one-sided win. And I, I understand that that can sometimes happen in sports, but to have a game where you have one team so short and short of their players... It just looks really bad to me, and that's what inevitably lends to this feeling of it is just like a zebra game, or it's just like a, a game where you kind of expect Ulster to rock up and do the business. And in sport, you never want that to be the case. You never want to be walking into a stadium and thinking Ulster should win this game handily. You you always want it to be a competitive game, and you really just felt like even even just the way the first. Sort of ten minutes went where Ulster kicked to the corner. They had two tries disallowed, and then they scored. You know, it just, it just felt like that growing inevitability. And for the URC, which has done so much good work in turning each game into a competitive game where possible, that felt like a step back. Yeah, you you're not wrong at all. Like you know, I wrote my column on this last mm. week that um, essentially this is back to the bad old days of what the the URC didn't want and it's you know obviously there were no Irish international seen anywhere this weekend so you do have to say that it's not solely a South African problem but the whole point of not playing on international weekends was that you would ditch this reputation for the big stars not playing and we've seen this you know we saw when the Sharks came to Galway we saw a team selection that didn't have the big names we've seen the Stormers come to Belfast without the big names and it's going to be a difficult fix, but it needs to be fixed. I don't think it's in any way sustainable to say to this, um, again, we touched on this last week, but mm. I don't think you can say to the Stormers, you're going to be playing four straight weeks in four different hemispheres. You know, you can't be doing that much north to south travel week on week on week because one, it's bad for the players. Two, you're not getting any time to train in between, so that's bad for the team as a whole. And three, it's forcing coaches to make decisions like the one that we saw from John Dobson where essentially they targeted the Claremont game. That worked out well for Ulster as well, obviously. And then sent what was essentially a shadow team to Belfast that got hooked really by... uh, 30 points could have been could have been more, you know. I feel like the Stormers are maybe back on Ulster's Christmas card list after the last couple of weeks. <laughs> getting getting them into the last 16 of Europe and handing them five points in the league. Does that does that make up for the semi-final defeat? I, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> that. That's the big talking point of this week's podcast. Yeah. Have the Stormers basically apologised enough to Ulster over the last two weeks? Sending Kitchoff as well. Um, <laughs> I think, well... I suppose it depends whether you think also we're going to win the final against the Bulls or not. But uh, <laughs> if you think that there were, then the answer is probably still very much no. Probably have to send Evan Roos as well to make up for that. <laughs> Don't tell Dave Ewers that. No, yeah, true, true. Um, I, I suppose then, to to put that behind us, because we did talk about that last week and we can probably talk ad nauseum about it, but w- whenever you have a big blowout win, I think it is sometimes quite easy to overlook the good things that the team actually did because you're focusing too much on, well, that was a substandard opposition and they should have done that. But Ulster did do a lot of things right in this game. I mean, what stood out for you most? For me, and you're 100% right, because 
you look at the the Zebra game, and the Zebra game is a good example where you can say Ulster played badly but still managed to win by that many points. I think Ulster played well um, here in ragging up the score that they did. But the thing that jumped out to me was what looked to be players playing with confidence again. Mm. Like, 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 let's not get things wrong here. Like, the Stormers are still a good team, even down these players. You know, it's not like they sent over their under 12s or something and just sort of fulfilled the fixture. They still sent over a team that had, you know, the likes of Brock Harris, Jean-Luc Duplessis is a very good fly half. I know they lost cuts early, but like he's a good he's a good hooker and obviously Evan Rose in the back row. They they still had good players on this team. So it's not like Ulster were playing their C team or their D team or something like that. They they still had to do a job. Yeah, absolutely. And they were they were physical, they ran hard. They're still a big, strong team. So, you know, questions were asked in defence, but you know, I thought Doak played well. I thought Stuart Moore played well. I thought James Hume played well. And I think it was good from an Ulster perspective to see those guys looking more like they looked this time last year than they have occasionally looked during this bad run because it just seemed to be an uplift almost across the board in terms of confidence. Like we talked a lot about the pack last week after the final quarter that they produced against Sale. But... To me, this was much more um, the backs getting that uh, getting that confidence back, being a bit more in flow. Nothing felt as stilted as it has done. And I think it was just a good performance to build on after the past two weeks when we saw improvements and improvements and improvements week on week. And then going into, and I'm sure we'll come to this, but going into what feels like another key block because with the Sharks game being being rearranged, you almost do feel like that Six Nations block is independent of everything else. It's that three-game window, if you like, and other teams are going to have easier fixture lists than Ulster have during that time. It's not going to be an easy patch for Ulster. So the fact that they can now go away, get a bit of R&R and come back for, it feels like we're always saying this, but... What is it, another key segment of the season? Has the break come at the wrong time for Ulster or the right time? Because th- there's obviously the argument that it's good for them to get a rest after so many games, but whenever you're starting to rebuild, it almost feels like you you want to keep this going. You know, you want to keep rolling. <clears throat> you want guys to continue that momentum. Like, to use an example of someone that w- we are going to talk about a, a little bit later, but Jeff Tamang Allen is currently in outstanding form. Like, you don't want him to now go and put his feet up and come back and and be a bit rusty. You want him just to keep playing. You want to keep him packing down every week and getting the ball in his hands and playing. So is it almost like a double-edged sword, this? Yeah, I guess guess it could be, but I think just from a mental standpoint, I think the last 10 weeks must have been so mentally draining, and it always is a mentally draining spell of the season because you kind of bounce out especially for the guys that are playing for Ireland you know, you bounce out of November and then it just feels obviously also started with Zebra but like thereafter it just feels like big game after big game after big game we saw the same thing last season it's you're either playing Europe or you're playing in an, in an interpro and then to finish it off with the visit of the reigning champions diluted as they were I think everybody involved probably needs to switch off a little bit after that. I think the players have until next Tuesday or Wednesday off, so near near 10 days off. And 
depending on how Europe goes, like you're not going to get that opportunity again, you know, Mm -hmm. um, until the summer, really. So I think while I understand completely what you're saying in terms of maintaining the momentum and for certain players building on the momentum of the last uh, the last week or two, I just think the mental reset, the mental recharge, um, especially coming into this block where you've got three away games and an awful lot of travel, um, means that players can come back refreshed. To look back then on this block as a whole, you asked Dan the question after the game on Friday night, was this the toughest stretch? Or so, sorry, you, you didn't ask him what the toughest stretch was, but he sort of answered it in that way. Like how he sort of felt the block of 10 games had gone now that they're out on the other side of it. And he responded with, it's probably the toughest stretch of his professional coaching career. To look back on it now, for Ulster to be coming out of this third in the league, two points off second place, which realistically they're all, it's all they're playing for now. To be in the last 16 of Europe with a game at the Aviva against Leinster to come. Are they in as bad a position as we thought they were? Or do you still feel like they've taken a massive hit over the past 10 games? No, they're not in as bad a position as we thought they were going to be at all because essentially once they lost that Leinster game, regardless of how they lost it, forget about the nature of how they lost it, just focus on the fact that they lost it, right? Once they lost that Leinster game, top spot was gone because I think you were then 12 points behind Leinster, I think. It was something like that, yeah. but um, Possibly 11, but either way, you were a number of points back from Leinster that they were not going to drop again <laughs> over the course <laughs> of the season, especially when you didn't have the chance to take any points them points off them. Like Leinster that was, might just not lose again. Like it yeah, just feels like, like they're not going exactly. To. So like once once also didn't beat Leinster, and that was a real swing game because you know you could have ended up two or three points behind them because you were going in eight points behind them, right? So that was the key game of the domestic season, really. So top spot was gone once you lost that. The knock-on effect of losing that in the way you did was obviously so damaging. But purely in terms of the table, that's gone. So to come out of this run two points off second, second has been what you're aiming for since the first weekend in December, essentially now. You can point to the damage done by the fact that you're playing Leinster in the Champions Cup last 16, but that's really... I suppose that's the real tangible impact of what at times felt like a disastrous, the sky's falling, the season's on the brink, 10-game run. So to be able to come out of that, and it was so far below par and it was such a surprisingly bad string of performances and string of results, but to come out of that in the last 16 of the Champions Cup, playing the knockout tie in your own um it's not a home game but it's as close to a home game as you can as you can get with it being an away game so to have that and to be sitting third in the league with the knowledge that you've recently beaten the team ahead of you and you know that they're not going to uh be in a position to win every away game on the basis of what we've seen i mean 
there's a lot of teams around the place would bite your hand off to be in that position now. And Ulster are in that position. Having you imagine gone through the type of prolonged slump, every team will go through a little drop, maybe with the exception of Leinster, <laughs> um, at some point during the season. You hope that Ulster have had theirs. Yeah. And the, and the key now, and it's something that we talked about on a previous podcast, sort of similarly, is trying to make sure that they don't do that again. Now, I'm, generally, teams will only go through like one stretch like this during a season. It's very rare that you would get two extended slumps. but Unless you're just a bad team. <laughs> unless you're just a bad team. But for, for good teams, which we know that Ulster are, and I don't think anybody during this stretch has ever doubted that Ulster are still a good team. They've just been going through a real run where they've had a lack of confidence. But the key now, similar to what we were saying about whenever good teams, or the great teams, the teams that win championships, whenever they slip below par for a performance, they quickly rebound with a big performance the following week. Ulster now have to find a way to keep building on these performances and make sure that they don't fall back into that slump. Because as cliche as it sounds, your team can really be galvanized from a run like this in that, okay, it's not good that you went through it in the first place. But if you can rally from the fact that you got through it, you got to the other side of it. And I wouldn't say Ulster necessarily completely to the other side of it yet. Like the Stormers game was a good way to build on the sale game. I I still wouldn't say they're necessarily completely out of it. I think you probably need a win over... And I would say Glasgow will provide that opportunity because it's both teams will be without their internationals, so it's kind of like a level playing field. I feel like Friday maybe wasn't quite the level playing field that you wanted it to be for the perfect confidence booster. So for Ulster moving forward you can actually be galvanized by this as a squad. You can use it to say, look at how we bounced back from a really rough period. I mean, the the fact is, whenever they really needed to win, they got it done. It wasn't, look, it, it's bad that they went on all those losses, but whenever they needed to win to get into the last 16 of Europe, they won. Whenever they needed to beat the Stormers to stay in touch in second place, they won. So that's the kind of thing that for the rest of the season they can say, well, look at how whenever our backs were up against the wall and our confidence was low, we pulled a result out of the bag that really, you know, a lot of people were doubting we could do that. Going into that sale game, a lot of people doubted that they could actually get the result and they did it. So Ulster could be in a very good position on the other side of this if they can keep this momentum going. And that's something that can stand to them towards the end of the season. But equally, it's up to them to sort of maintain this momentum. And maintain that momentum through to a week when they'll be playing Glasgow. Like Glasgow are only four points behind Ulster. So as much as Ulster are two points off second, they're also only four points off fifth and play the fifth place team away. And like... Glasgow have only lost one game out of the last 11, and that was to Leinster. You know, Glasgow are in good form at the minute, so... Don't 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 bring facts into this that, uh, <laughs> like that this, undermine my argument. <laughs> you know, this becomes 
a huge game. You don't have the game in hand over Glasgow that you have over everybody else because they have to play the Lions from their own South African trip, you know. Mm. And the Stormers play the Bulls that same weekend. So if you're looking at it, like that week in between the uh, rounds two and three of the Six Nations becomes a massive week in terms of the table. Because after that, you also only have five games left after that. And one of them's a game in hand. There'll be some teams that only have four games left after that, you know? Mm. Um, so well this is what we were saying last week like Ulster don't actually have that much time left yeah and yeah. It, it, feel, it feels like we're only halfway through the season but we're a long long way past that actually yeah yeah, yeah. like we'll talk about it again um, in a few weeks I'm sure but like what do you think is it as simple as two wins from the next three games represents a good return but one represents a bad return because the margins between that are very fine yeah, honestly, it, it's it's really hard to say right now because it's all framed by what everybody else does. Mm, yeah. So if Ulster get one win from three, and but probably like I'm trying to work out the math in my head as I do this, it's probably not mathematically possible for Ulster to get one win out of three and still be right in the mix because just with, with the opposition and where they. Um, and who the other teams play, there's probably no way for Ulster to get one win and sort of still be like right in the mix for third or for second. But let's say theoretically Ulster do get one win from their next three, but are still right up there and would sort of be considered as one of the favourites to finish second. Would that necessarily be a bad outcome given the standard of the opposition? Probably not. But realistically, and especially with the finish that Ulster have, three home games to finish the season, they would back themselves to get at least 12 points from that. And you would think they could definitely get a bonus point against the Dragons. And they would back themselves to get more than that against the other two teams as well, especially since they now seem completely against kicking their points. Um, so for me, as long as they're still in touch Coming out of the Six Nations, I think it's okay. Because then you, you've got that run where you can rebuild that momentum going into the playoffs and get second place. But realistically, can can they go one win from three and still be in the position that they need to be going into the last two games? Probably not. So I would say, yeah, you probably do have to win two of the next three. I mean, it depends obviously what the other teams do. So just well, yeah, for but, the sake of argument, here's the Stormers fixtures, right? Sharks away, Bulls away, Sharks at home, Leinster away, Munster at home, Treviso at home to finish the season. Like, they might have the toughest run in of anyone. Mm. But the flip side of that comes with Glasgow, whose fixtures are Ulster at home, Lions away, Zebra at home, Munster away, Scarlets at home, Connaught at home. So if you don't beat Glasgow, if like if you sorry, if you end up in a position where you're level on points with Glasgow after that game on the seventeenth of February, and you're looking at the rest of Glasgow's fixtures, then all of a sudden they probably become the front runner. Mm. And that's not really talking about the Sharks who have games in hand and are going to be the team that's 
no matter where they're playing or who they're playing, nobody wants to face the Sharks in the playoffs once they get their full strength team. Especially if you have to travel to them as well. Like, so yeah you, and the, this again is what we were talking about you know this is suddenly where you find that uh the, the lack of fixtures really hurts Ulster because there's not much time to make up a defeat so yeah those if, fixtures are actually interesting as well so Stormers at home Lions at home Ulster away Zebra at home Leinster at home Leinster by that stage will not be playing for anything no, and that those are the games. Do they serve two games in South Africa to finish the season? Uh, they probably do. Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, uh, I think they had something similar last year. Do you remember? But they sent, you know, I think they even kept Stuart Lancaster back in Dublin. Yeah. Um, because they didn't need to get, they didn't need to win the games. Yeah. So that uh, honestly, like I would put that down right now as a Bulls win. Because you know that Leinster are going to keep the the players that they want to to play in the big games. They're not going to send them down to South Africa for what will be by that stage a needless trip because they'll already have had uh, first place wrapped up by the middle of February. The only game that the Bulls won't be favourites for there is the one against Ulster. Yeah. Now you have to bear in mind that Ulster have the game in hand over the Bulls and are presently ahead of them. But the game in hand doesn't mean anything if you don't take any points from it mm. so yeah let Leinster finish the season away to the Lions and away to the Bulls so they could win they could win the Lions game without their internationals I don't know why I'm talking about Leinster here because that doesn't really <laughs> apply to apply to Ulster but yeah if if they're sending so I, I imagine it won't be a completely depleted roster because if you if you keep guys on the sidelines for two weeks you maybe risk them getting a little bit cold so you might send you might send maybe a, a full squad but you know don't you know re- play them like half and half or something I don't know but like those I, games are going to be in between European games a European quarterfinal and European semi-final probably yeah so. mm, yeah it'll be interesting to see what they do but for, just yeah, completely wrote off all their chances there Completely I mean, yeah, we, 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 were, we were so <laughs> positive and now we've managed to drag it down to, well, they're going to finish eighth. Yeah, we were just, well, <laughs> sorry, I meant that we were no, ass- I, I know, assuming I that Leinster were going to be in a quarterfinal and a semifinal. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. So, so in the space of about 10 minutes there, we've gone from Ulster going to finish second to Ulster are out of Europe and going to finish eighth and face Leinster again and... I'm going to blame you for that, Adam. I think you took us down a dark path there from, Fair enough. from what started out as a bright and breezy podcast. Fair enough. Um, I do want to talk, but before we move on from uh, from Ulster to Ireland, uh, we have to talk about Jeff Tumang Allen again. This was the first time that I've spoken to him after the game. What a breath of fresh air that guy is. Like, completely unfiltered. There's clearly been if he's had media training it's clearly gone in one ear and gone out the other because there's no sort of cliche answers there's no sort of just towing the line of uh this is what it is it's just pure unfiltered jeff tamang allen and it's amazing like it's so it's so good to hear somebody speaking just from the heart as opposed to 
spewing out the the same repeated lines of we're we're excited for for this game or you know we stormers gave us a tough test the guy just loves playing rugby and i think it shows and it's no surprise that the fans have taken to him and that's even before we talk about how he's been playing recently and i know you spoke to him before the the sale game but just how impressed have you been with jeff tamang allen over the last over what is essentially just the last month yeah that's that's four games in a row and we talked about this um last week how we figured he was um on his way to cult hero status and it feels like that's <laughs> just been confirmed really over the last week obviously everybody uh everybody loves him he seems like a great guy to have about the squad and like I think we do like we have to acknowledge that we were very down on this signing when it happened because at that stage you were looking at the squad and they needed a loose head they didn't need it oh sorry we didn't think they needed a tight head they had Marty Murr and they had Tom O'Toole but imagine the last four weeks if they hadn't signed Jeff Tamanga Allen now who's your starting tight head if Tamanga Allen isn't there yeah it could be a well on the basis of what we're seeing, it would be Andy Warwick. I mean, look, yeah. I'm, that's that's not talking down Andy Warwick because Andy Warwick, I think, has been really good this season. But you need him, as Lou said. Yeah, exactly. You know, Andy Warwick has been very good for well, a couple of seasons now, but yeah. he's a Lucid. He's not yeah. a tight head. So do you think, because this is obviously the big question, do you think there's any chance Ulster managed to keep Jeff Tamang Allen? beyond the end of the season because let, let's be honest like they have to be wanting to now there, there's no way you're looking at him the impact he's had both on and off the pitch in the last month and thinking to yourself this is a guy we were happy to jettison yeah I mean I think the issue that you have with this signing is whenever you're talking about Marty Moore and potentially not getting back for the start of the season you know, Tom O'Toole's presently with Ireland for the Six Nations, so we can say he's in a box seat to go to the World Cup. It remains to be seen, obviously, um, form and stuff over the next couple of months. But, like, Ulster will need a tight head at the start of the season, but your problem is that Tamanga Allen could well be at the World Cup with Samoa. So that's where the whole thing falls down for me because you could make... I think a really good case that mm-hmm. you need what would essentially be a medical joker to cover the World Cup period. Mm-hmm. But that's not to Mangalan because he'll yeah. be at the World Cup. And I think yeah. it's a shame, but I think that's where that's the stumbling block here for me. Yeah, someone made exactly that point to me. And that is saying, can he not be signed as a medical joker? <laughs> Your medical joker needs to be there yeah, yeah. <laughs> before you can sign him as a medical joker. And <laughs> Yeah, I, I just can't see a path where Ulster would be allowed to keep uh, an NIQ player where you have Tom O'Toole, who is an Ireland international, and still has the age profile that they would consider him to be a key part of their building moving forward. You have Marty Murr, who has been so reliable, like as good as Tamang Allen has been, if Marty Murr was available for a game this weekend I think you would have Marty Murr back in the starting lineup and you but that like that's why Tamang Allen's been so important because Marty yeah. Murr is so important yeah ex- exactly <laughs> he's come in and filled in because maybe it could lost in the shuffle a touch when Marty Murr got injured but like 
because everything else was going so badly, so people weren't focused on just how big a blow it was to lose somebody who was probably your most consistent performer over the past two and a half years. Mm. But it's a testament, and maybe even the biggest testament you can pay to how well Tamanga Allen has played, is that there hasn't been a lot of talk about Marty Moore. Yeah, and... I think if Ulster went into next season with those three tight heads as their options, like you probably say it's a position of real strength for them. But I just, I, I mean, a, a lot does depend on how long Murr is out for. But the, but the problem is if you're signing somebody to cover, it has to be during the World Cup. Because right now, right now we are actually sitting in a position that's something that hasn't been mentioned we are sitting in a position right now where Ulster have theoretically no tight heads available for during the World Cup. Marty Murr is injured. Tom O'Toole could be away during the World Cup. You you can't be sitting here right now and saying we will have Tom O'Toole during the World Cup. Absolutely also, not. Like the yeah. guy, you know, the guy's in the Six Nations yeah. squad. So no, he he very well he very well maybe he may be the guy that misses out just because of you know the squad sizes are, are small but there's every chance if there's an injury he will be the one called up anyway so even if he is back with Ulster there's every chance he could lose him at some point Tamang Allen will be at the World Cup so who who is your starting tight head in the first game of next season it's probably Andy Warwick sitting here right now Milosinovic's contract is up isn't it at the yes. end of this year um but he he might end up getting an extension just purely on the basis of Ulster need someone. Yeah, and then I suppose you've got Scott Wilson is probably probably the next player at that point. It's well, I suppose the World Cup is is a time where players do inevitably end up getting chances just because you are without so many players. So, uh, like lo- logically extending Tamang Allen like if, if this was any other club in the world where you, you didn't have to go through the RFU for all your signings and you're restricted on how many NIQs you're able to sign I think it's a no-brainer that Ulster extend Tamang Allen I don't think they even give it a moment, minute's hesitation absolutely but logically I just can't see a path where Ulster can extend him beyond the end of this year I mean you're about to come up with some logical reason why they could extend. Well, I'm just looking at Samoa's fixtures, like you know. Well, this, this you is... you be backing Argentina, England, and Japan to produce two of the three um, qualifiers from that pool. He could be done on the seventh of October. We don't know how many the ERC fixture dates being what they are. We don't know just how many games will be before the World Cup starts. Mm-hmm. Or more pertinently, I suppose, from this perspective, how many games will be before the World Cup pool stages finish? But but if you if you're the IRFU and you're sitting there looking at that and Ulster say we want to sign Jeff Tamang Allen for for next season, are we expecting Marty Murr to be out well into next season? Like he got he got. It's an ACL injury, isn't yeah, so it? First, yeah. first of January. So, so, so yeah, so ACL injuries generally are nine months, if we use the Marcel Kutzi example. So theoretically, let, let, let's say it, it is just nine months. He's back for the 1st of September. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I mean we're only the, going off the basis of what yeah. uh, players have mentioned whenever they're talking about how long he's going to be out for. You know, it's like whenever you're asking people, is it a season injury, in ending injury? And they're like, yeah, like he might not even be back for the start of next season. You know, that's mm. that's what we're working, basing this off. I, I just, th- I, I don't think he's going to be out long. I could understand it if he was going to be out for a significant portion beyond the the World Cup because then Tumang Allen comes back. As you say, he's not going to be away for too long because we don't expect Samoa to get through the groups. Our Samoan listeners are absolutely raging. I am so sorry, Samoan listeners. I, I know we have a really dedicated fan base in the Pacific Islands, but uh, I, I just feel like I have to be honest here. So I, I could understand that if you were looking ahead and they said... Yeah, okay, you know, he'll be missing for one game or one Ulster game and they'll be back and he'll be able to cover until Christmas or something. That would be a bit different. But I would imagine that by the time you're getting Tamang Allen back, I think Marty Murr is going to be there, thereabouts. And I don't think you're going to get dispensation to sign someone who's only going to be covering for one game. If then there's the risk that once uh, once O'Toole comes back from the World Cup, he's going to be sad as the third choice behind Tamang Allen. Because right, right now, I would have Tamang Allen over O'Toole. Well, like it, that, that just won't that, that won't be allowed. No, it, it, it won't be allowed. That, but then that, are, are, a, you, yeah, are, you, are you going to then be paying... I don't know exactly what Tamang Allen's on, so maybe he's uh, maybe he's happy to take a real discounted deal just to just keep playing with Ulster. But no, are, no, you, are you are he's, you are you be seeing dollar signs every time he plays? <laughs> now. But are are you going to sign an NIQ to a position that he's not going to be playing in any of your big games because you? Have to play the Ireland international like that. But I mean, this, theoretically, this is, that's how he arrived. You know, he's well, he's here on that type of contract. It's just not worked out that way. Like, I know, but uh, re- realistically, signed on a one-year deal, it's like a bridge deal to next season until they sign somebody else in another position. Like you're you're not you're not signing an NIQ on a one-year deal, and unless unless you know Evan Atzabeth comes to you and says, "I'm looking I'm looking for a one-year deal," you absolutely sign that because it's Evan Atzabeth. But you don't sign someone like Jeff Tamang Allen to a one-year deal because you're because you think you know that's he's he's going to really enhance our squad. You know he was a filler at depth for one season, and then they were going to look at spending the money elsewhere. Yeah, in, in my opinion. And I like mean that. his uh, his deal obviously came before the Rory Sutherland deal. And there needs to be special dispensation made to have two NIQ props. Now, Rory Sutherland's... The move for Rory Sutherland was quite opportunistic. So that was signed off on. Whether you get the IRFU signing off on Stephen Kitchoff and Jeff Allen <laughs> at the same time is another matter entirely. Yeah. I, I think it is... It is presumptuous to say that Ulster will be able to keep him beyond the end of the season. I, I think there's just too many hoops that they're going to have to jump. I, I can I can a hundred percent understand a medical joker being signed. And th- this is where people are probably going to get a bit 
confused as to you know like oh because ulster realistically like sitting here right now ulster are going to have to sign some someone at tight head because they're going to be short guys next season and so people are going to be looking at whoever they bring in saying why can we not keep tamang allen the issue isn't with tamang allen himself it's the issue with the fact that he is a Samoan international during the World Cup. It's the issue with, you know, you, you can't sign someone as a medical joker who's not going to be there to be the medical joker. So I I don't think they're going to re-sign him. I would like them to re-sign him purely for the interviews, but it's a, it's a hard look. Time is running on. We have to discuss the upcoming rather small matter of the Six Nations Championship. Ireland going in, looking to reclaim the crown after France completed Le Grand Chelem. Uh, my French is not fantastic. That's it, yeah. Le Grand uh, Chelem. Yeah. Le Grand Chelem. Chelem, sorry. I, I do apologise to all our French listeners. Look at it. I'm, a, I'm offending our Samoan listeners, our French listeners. Surely I'll, I'll manage to offend somebody else before the end. Um, Johnny, how how are you looking at, where do you see Ireland in the pecking order for in this year's Six Nations? Obviously coming in as, as the world's number one test nation for, uh, for what was an incredible 2022. Do you see them as the favourites to win this year's tournament because of that? Or are you expecting someone else to be the real dangers? I think it's fascinatingly poised because Ireland are never good in Cardiff. Like that's going back to the start of the Joe Schmidt era. They don't win in Cardiff in the Six Nations. So you've got that first up and it's going to be a huge Warren Gatland lift Cardiff Mm. in the Principality Stadium. That's going to be a fascinating game. And then you've got France the week after. Mm-hmm. Just a reminder for anybody who, who's not aware of Ireland's fixtures, it's Wales away up first, then France at home, a week off before you have that in-between game away at Italy. And then you come back on the 12th of March to face Scotland away and England at home to finish it off. But yeah, interesting way the fixtures have fallen. Because you should win those two games, right? Mm-hmm. But you can see them losing either of them. Yeah. But if they win the first two of them, then they should be winning a Grand Slam. That's interesting that you feel like they should win a Grand Slam even though they've still got England to come up in the last game. But I think they're the number one side in the world. They'll be at home. England are going to be in transition. Now, it's a bad time to play them because you've probably got a a number of weeks' worth of continuity of Steve Borthwick by the time Mm. that England-Ireland game rolls around. But... I think Ireland would fancy themselves to win that game. And I think they fa- should fancy themselves to win all of the games. But I also think that the margins are so fine between them and France that it wouldn't surprise me if either Ireland or France won. And it wouldn't surprise me if Ireland won it and they do it with a Grand Slam. Well, I've just seen a stat on Twitter, actually, which is very interesting, that in the last 23 Six Nations the winners have won the Grand Slam 12 times. So, like, there's a 50% chance that uh, <laughs> the, the winners do it with a Grand Slam. Yeah, and, like, 
winning it with a Grand Slam is always seen as a sign of um, real dominance, you know, because so often in a competition with uneven fixtures or the fact that it's come down to points difference quite a lot, the winner is obviously viewed as definitive by history, but it can be so close. So the Grand Slam is really the gold, the gold standard. It's laying down a marker. And I think it's there for Ireland, but I think it's going to be incredibly tough because of those first two fixtures. Mm. Like, I think if you win those first two fixtures, you're away to the races. But I think it's a bad time to be playing Wales. Wales, you know, if you watch the players in the Champions Cup, especially the forwards, like, they're playing some good stuff. They'll still have a good side. And Gatland, as we've seen from two Lions tours, can pull things together quickly. Wales have just named their team as we record this podcast. Classic Gatland. Yeah, and I do like that. We've talked about this on the podcast before. I do like that approach of we're going to name our team really early in the week. It's up to you to find a way to stop it. And it makes it all the more embarrassing for teams whenever they are beaten by a side that they've literally had four or five days to prepare for. Uh, the only real shock is that Joe Hawkins starts in the centre, twenty-year-old who plays for the Dragon. Or sorry, sorry, the Alspreys. Um, that's my bad. Uh, I do agree with you. I agree that this is a really bad game for Ireland to start with, because, as you say, they're going to have that Gatland lift, and as well as that, they they do have that record in in Cardiff, but equally it's the perfect game to start with because if you get an away win on the board early, you get that little bit of momentum going into France. You do win those two games, you're off to the races. As you say, you, you've got the Italy game, which is a banker in the, in the middle where you can rest, rotate a few guys. You can be prepared for the final two games and then I mean, for for me, actually, I think that Scotland game is probably going to be a little bit of a tester as well. Like, Scotland have looked improved. I was going to say good. I, I would still say they're a step below um, the other nations, you know, especially Ireland, France, uh, Ireland and France. But they are definitely an improved nation. And that Ben Healy, uh, potentially John Cooney, uh Matchup could be interesting, but I feel I feel like yes, this weekend's game is probably it's it's probably the decider of whether Ireland could win it with a Grand Slam or not. Because I th- I feel like if you if you win this game, obviously the Grand St- Grand Slam's still on, and as you say, from there you've got you've got the fixtures that sort of suggest that you should complete the Grand Slam. I think Ireland still win this championship, even if they lost this week. Yeah, like that. See, that wouldn't surprise me if Ireland were to lose this week and win the next four and win the championship. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if they were to win this week and win a Grand Slam. Yeah, and it probably wouldn't surprise me if they were to win this week, narrowly narrowly lose to France, and then have everything on whether. France can beat England and Twickenham in round four, I think that is. Mm. 
So it's there for Ireland. Obviously, they're the number one side in the world, and they've uh, during that time they've beat everybody but France. Mm. So that's why the France game is going to be um, so interesting. Just before we go, what do you think, uh, Ireland or Wales this weekend? I'm gonna say Ireland, but like, it oh, wouldn't. Su- you look so unconvinced. <laughs> it just would like genuinely nothing would surprise me about a Warren Gatland Wales team, even if it's only been Warren Gatland's Wales team for six weeks. Nothing surprises me about that man coaching Wales in a Six Nations. The only thing I'll say is it's still the same Wales team that Pivac had. I, I know... I know, but even when you look I at know, it on paper now, you're like, yeah, that's good. You know, you look at the sort of back five forwards and, uh, you know, Beard, Alan jones Morgan, Tipperick, Falatai. Jack Morgan's been so impressive. Yeah, he's been season, so good been every time so I've seen him. Um, and you're looking at that and you're like, yeah, like that's a good pack. And then <laughs> you're looking at the backs and you're like, there's experience there, you know? Um mm. Home crowd, uh, feel good factor with Gatlin back. I like I can see it. I can see a Wales win absolutely, but I'm gonna th- go with Ireland, and I think that'll be a real underlining of their world number one credentials. I say again, it's still the same Wales team that Pivac had. As much as you will get that sort of bounce back new coach vibe on uh, on the weekend. It's still the same team. So for me, I, d- I do think Ireland win this. And I'm going to say that I'm going to say that they do it not comfortably in that they're they're going to stroll to the win, but I don't think it's going to be in quite as much jeopardy as some other people, aka the man sitting across from me, <laughs> is what, saying. What, what are you putting the margin at? Uh, I, beyond, I say... beyond the score. Like, I, I, okay. I, think, I think Ireland will have this one before the clock hits. Okay, Italy. I think Ireland within a score. Okay, we'll see who's right. We'll come back next <laughs> week and find out. You can follow all the action, as always, on the Belfast Telegraph Sport website. We will have the live blog plus a report from Johnny and all the best reaction. And until we are back next week, hopefully with Neve in tow, Neve still soaking up the best that the Big Apple has to offer. And I can't say I'm not jealous because <laughs> that is an absolute lie. Uh, but... She will be back next week. We will be back next week to discuss Ireland's game at the Principality to look ahead to that massive game against France, no matter how this weekend goes. But until then, stay safe, enjoy your rugby wherever you're watching it, and we will see you again next week. 